This is the Saxo Market Call. Daily insights on what is moving the financial markets. Hello and welcome to this special edition of the Saxo Market Call podcast. It's Monday, December 19th as we're recording this. Uh, that's not the day we're releasing this, but it uh, doesn't matter. We're talking about the longer term perspectives for next year. And Peter, I'm going to put you on the spot right away, right away because this was your idea, this special edition on an investor's wish list for 2023. I guess what we're hoping to do here is sort of say, well, this is what the market is hoping for, but is this what the market is going to get? Is that not the, the general intent of what we're trying to do here? Yeah, it's uh, trying to uh, to make it a little bit back and forth on the key themes that could uh, dominate and drive performance across different asset classes, macro and geopolitical events in, in 2023. And I think it's, I, I, my idea with this, John, was simply that we're leaving 2022 as probably the most horrible year, at least the most difficult year I've had uh, at my 12 years at Saxo. Uh, I thought I had seen most of most of it, but uh, you know the most bloody war on the European continent and since uh, World War II, everything that is shaping up geopolitically around that, um, the confrontation, the the galloping inflation. All of it. I mean, it has just been such a exhausting year that I thought that now that it's you know it's the it's a Christmas period coming and coming around the corner, and there's always kids uh, kids have their wish list for 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 Christmas, <laughs> and uh, I'm thinking maybe investors or the market has a wish list for a, a better 2023. Yeah, well, I th- certainly those with uh, passive exposure to the market getting the double whammy in 2022. It wasn't just about the equity side; it was also the bond side. A historic year for bond investors, and of course, you know the so-called balanced portfolio, the 60/40 portfolio. None of this did well. Only those that were clever uh, stock pickers, maybe exposure to commodities, or of course macro traders looking at doing shorts or other plays on the yield curve, etc had a banner year and some did have a banner year it was a good year for hedge funds volatility traders depending on on what their focus was so we have an overview on slide two of the different areas we'll be focusing on here and the first of those is uh, i guess are we heading into a recession and we sort of are in a recession if you look at the uk if you look at europe at least a soft or slow uh, slight recession at the moment the big question is of course the us and you've got the us leading indicators up there on slide three getting into the area that generally leads to an, 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 a recession of some sort, but the question will be, is it a, a shallow one, as you suggest here? Yeah, exactly. I think the, the wish list here is, okay, we probably can't avoid uh, some type of recession. So if we get a recession, can it please be a shallow one? That would think would be the dream scenario, and then we quickly come out of that. And the idea here is basically that the domino effect, the dominoes from from excess fiscal stimulus and monetary stimulus is really so powerful that yes, there is a reset, but it's very short-lived. And then we just basically power on and we get that with structurally higher inflation. That would sort of be the, uh, that would be the idea. So, but but still inflation coming down, that would be the, I think the best outlook we could hope for. And maybe these, this indication of a shallow recession, you might see a little bit of that in Europe because we, we had growth indicators coming down pretty hard, but it has rebounded. And you have had a lot of CEOs coming out recently and also in the surveys. And we have had the, the IFO survey this morning in Germany, all indicating that maybe we were, be, we, get, we were getting too pessimistic on Europe and the equity market, it rebound 20% in Europe, was probably right in, in sort of forward-looking pricing in that things were maybe not uh, moving over a cliff. So <clears throat> so that would be that would be the wish list. I don't think, I don't know where you are on this, John. I tend to lean 
towards the the shallow recession. But in but in all honesty, I think the outcome range here is just massive, and there are a lot of variables at play. And the the main variable will be inflation, as you point to on slide four. So we have this we have the sense that goods inflation is coming in. In oldest space, the energy uh, spike has largely come in. We still have some specific uh, situations here in, in Europe around power and gas that are, are fully <laughs> unresolved, certainly for the longer term perspective. But as as the Fed has outlined, the, the really the key variable here, at least in their mind, they've, they've broken down inflation into three uh, areas. And their, their biggest area of concern that they're you know still forecasting that the rate is going to hit 5% or higher uh, this year with the Fed funds rate is that basket that you, you show here on slide four the 57% weight of these services excluding energy. And it has come in, but there's still, if you look on a moving average base, still a very high level uh, and a, you know, that risk around that. Uh, and if and if demand is not coming down sharply enough and you have more services demand in the pipeline with consumer, uh, especially the private sector's balance sheet looking pretty spotless here, and they haven't consumed down a lot of that stimulus that was uh, put rolled out during the pandemic, that this could actually sort of continue to catch fire and, and trigger more inflation than we realize is is uh, certainly not what the market is pricing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it is the services. It's the wage potential wage spiral. Uh, a lot of job switchers and tight labor markets still in Europe and the U.S. fueling wage demand and the high inflation. Employees are basically trying everything they can to be compensated and, and regain a little bit of that lost income and wealth. And the the uh, the services sector. I think the the main question in 2023. So the wish list, of course, is inflation goes all the way back to two percent. That would be the biggest wish, right? If that happens, wow, I, would prob- I think we'll probably have a pretty crazy 2023 uh, on the upside across all asset classes, if that's really what materializes. But the key question here is, where is the flaw in inflation? If it comes down, as we expect, it will roll over, but then it stabilizes around, let's say, 4 four to 5% annualized range. And the market suddenly comes to the conclusion, that, okay, maybe this is the structural level. Then we have a bond market and we have an equity market that is certainly not prepared for that message. And then we have carnage. So that is what it's all about. And I think China is the big joker here because China is China is reopening. Just a couple of months ago, a lot of this uh, regions in China lifted significantly electricity prices for certain industries, uh, manufacturing and 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 housing as well. And that's that's sort of the that's sort of the Chinese system. They don't have a rather free market uh, with price setting uh, on a daily basis like we have here in Europe. So there. Electricity prices are sort of set in discrete jumps because there is a real power price, and and that is high in China as well as it is in Europe. It's just just not something we write about, and they have recently hiked it pretty significantly. And if they reopen, and they also have these electricity problems with high electricity prices that we have here in Europe, then um, then China could suddenly begin to also add to inflation next year. Yeah, I think that is an absolutely key component of the demand picture, Ola, as we look forward to the next year. When when China does come out and stimulate, China is the number one commodity consumer in the world. We all consume energy around the world, and there's a special energy question mark hanging especially urgently over Europe. But we, we drew down the strategic reserves in the U.S. to a great degree. That That's sort of mostly off the table uh, next year. Is China demand coming back online? Is that your key question mark over this uh, commodity outlook for the next year? It most certainly is because the the market is is ending uh, 22 uh, worried about the demand going forward and we've seen prices come down quite quite a bit in the, during the past uh, past quarter or so but uh, the focus will be on China I think we'll have a, a bit of a 
uh, scrappy first quarter because the uh, the the virus count we're seeing now is is going through the roof. There will be uh, that it will have an impact on the mobility on the economic outlook. But but the the Chinese government has emphasized that growth is 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 paramount important, and we will see demand pick up. And we say well, I think we'll see smart demand because it won't just be steel and concrete uh, building a new city that uh, that's not where it's going to come from it's going to be the transition it's going to be the infrastructure that will uh, that will attract uh, uh, the the attention there and, and that's why we 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 remain quite positive on the outlook for for energy and, and metals and simply also this this this, this the whole uh, tightness in supply that we we've seen develop over the past few years it's not going to go away so even if we should see an economic slowdown we still have many of these markets still in relatively tight supply. I just put in on slide nine here, just uh, for those who watch the follow the podcast, you've seen it before. Just highlighting the the spread that you uh, that we find between the spot futures contract and the one twelve months out. And uh, if we are in plus, we're in backwardation. That basically means that the front is trading higher than further out. That is signaling a market in in tight supply. It has come down, uh, especially for the energy sector now during the past few months. On average, uh, that's the red line. You are getting a return if you just bought uh, that basket of commodities through uh, the Bloomberg Commodity Index, and we expected unchanged prices over the next twelve months. You would make two and a half percent. Just a few months ago, you would have made six percent. We believe that backwardation will start to move higher again, and that will be benefiting commodity investors through uh, through ETFs uh, tracking these uh, these types of of investments. So really, it's only a, and in your scenario, the wish list is that the market is trying to price almost like a Goldilocks scenario. The demand is going to come down and, and we're not going to have too bad of a problem. But really, the only downside scenario is a really ugly economic outlook and kind of crushing of the demand side. A deep recession crushing demand. Absolutely. And uh, you can add to the uh, to the China story, obviously, also the inflation story. Because if uh, the, the the good news on inflation is that if it doesn't come down, it would obviously hurt some sectors, but it would be beneficial for, for investment metals, as an example. Yeah, we'll get back to that in a moment, because I want to combine that or connect that with the dollar outlook. Uh, but briefly, I, I think I've had some great uh, question marks hanging over the fixed income market, which I think is really going to I think you can really illustrate the different scenarios going forward with that. But we have a we have a key setup here as well, uh, Peter, in this whole focus on deglobalization. Uh, and this is, is one of those ones that was so prominent in our uh, outrageous predictions, the so-called war economy and this idea that we have so many regions moving to, to disengage or at least to make sure that their supply chains are robust, that their access to resources is robust. This creates its own dynamic. And you, you put out some good headlines here on, on slide five. Yeah, I think if there is a wish list for, for 2023 on the the macro globalization and geopolitical events, it would be, can we please get back to the arc of globalization, unconstrained globalization, I should say, that we have had since 1980s. That would really be the top of the wish list, again, combined with the other things we've said that could make it a still a 2023. And what would that include? Well, a meaningful peace deal uh, in Ukraine that leaves a path maybe for Ukraine to to join the EU. A lot of <laughs> a lot of things around that. It would it would also entail that that China is successful reopening and that the sort of reshoring flow out of China slows down. I think that would also be one of the things, and also that the general the whole news flow around Taiwan would would slow down, and maybe also that the U.S. And China could get to an arrangement on semiconductors and, and other key technologies where we sort of agree to disagree, but not engage in a very, in a tit for tat war over chips, et cetera, that could really derail these very fragile global supply chains. That sort of would be, I think, 
the uh, the rosy picture. Unfortunately, I think I'm leaning that 2022, when we look back in 10 years, will be that crucial year where we pivoted or we ended the unconstrained globalization and we got a new type of globalization with a lot of constraints, which is all about self-reliance, supply of energy, raw materials and food that with nations that are within your own value system that you can trust, all these things. Um, I, I, I don't think, unfortunately, that we that things will improve from here. I think it has to get worse before we can before it gets better. And a huge question mark over the the time the time frame on that because I fully agree we're on an escalation path. What is do we have a pause in the escalation as you say for 2023? Is this something we need to be more considering on a five year arc, or are we going to see an escalation already uh, next year? Great question, and will really be a key determinant as well for the outlook uh, for so many sectors and markets. But uh, I think the illustration on slide six here is is pretty good for talking about the types of scenarios we're looking at here and especially because the market is priced so uh you know weighted towards the scenario that we're that it is expecting that is disinflation that uh, inflation is going to move rapidly back towards target uh, in the coming months even as, especially in the new year uh and but especially over the next two years I should say and uh, you can illustrate that on slide six with with where the curve is now, which is heavily inverted, the most inverted it's been since the early 1980s. Really remarkable at these yield levels that we could achieve that inversion of that scale, more than uh, 80 basis points negative uh, for the twos and tens in the U.S. But the market expecting that bull steepener scenario where the, the long end, uh, sorry, the short end comes in much lower over the coming year to two years. Uh, even if the Fed is saying it's going to be a five plus percent, the market is saying, no, you're not. You're going to be closer to four and a quarter and you'll be cutting already uh, by Q4 next year and cutting even more the following year. And even the Fed, even though it disagrees with the Fed, the Fed's forecasts do, do suggest that the Fed also sees itself back towards a three plus percent policy rate by 20, the end of 2025. So the that's what the wish list is, and that's how the market is already positioned going into the new year. So the uncomfortable non-wish list scenario is the orange, so a bear flattener that extends and deepens even further because the, the consumer continues to roll on in the U.S., and that wage spiral gets a bit aggravated, and the Fed ends up having to hike even more than the market is expecting. A lot of discomfort there, but as long as that long end is fairly anchored, it doesn't have to be that toxic for, uh, for your space, uh, Peter, especially because... Uh, equities are a long duration asset. The really uncomfortable scenario is the the red scenario there on slide six, a bear steepener, the long end blowing out, uh, even as the short end also rises, a full on bear steepener as the market realizes, A, inflation is here to stay. It's getting worse. Maybe China's more fully stimulating wages, a wage spiral is happening. The Central banks are seeing as not able to catch up to inflation because they simply can't provide that tightening that would kill the economy. And make it unable to make them unable to fund uh, the fiscal stimulus that is needed to counteract the risk of recession. And the long end is seen blowing out. I think that's the big that's the big toxic scenario across markets. The the mar the scenario the market is least prepared for. I think you would agree. Yes, that would be really a terrible scenario for uh, for equities. And I think we we have we have to step back a little bit here, John, because I think the the equity market we leave behind in 2022 is an equity market that is priced. I wouldn't say significantly, but moderately above the the long term average on valuation since 1995. That means that we have an equity market that is not pricing in two things. One, it's definitely not pricing in a bear steepener on the yield curve. That's one thing, but it's not uh, pricing in a recession on earnings and in the economy. So, if we 
as we go along in 2023, we get the best, the best evening and we also get, you know, maybe not a shallow recession, but even worse, let's just say we get a, a standard moderate uh, recession and we get earnings down because margins are also under pressure. That's typically what we have seen historically when we get on the backside of inflation. Margins come under pressure because of the dynamics around wages, etc. Companies are fighting for market share, uh, etc. In that case, then, as you pointed out as well, equities would do terrible. And that would make 2023, when we maybe do this podcast in a, in a year from now, extremely interesting because it's very, very rare seen over the past 100 years that you have two years in a row with a negative return. I think we had it in the 70s. We had it back, we had it back in the 30s. It's very rare. And that would make uh, 2023 really outrageous, I think. All right. I don't know if you, you and you have some thoughts on, on margin preservation. You, you've pointed that out on slide eight, that even though we've come back in a little bit. We still have very high margins uh, across the board here. If you look at the MSCI world and just a, a standard recession, as you say, would even if we just sort of crush that back to a, a sort of a standard range, it's going to mean an adjustment in, in asset values with or without uh, fixed income and the long end uh, you know, yields rising materially. Yeah, exactly. So you can sort of, you can sort of uh, view it as sort of two forces that can push or smash down equity so the that's a double whammy we just talked about and then there's just the one whammy or whatever you're going to call it where you don't get a, a a terrible recession it may be a very shallow one and then we move on but but still inside that margins come down and they more than offset the expected revenue growth for next year that could be the case just simply for mean reversion uh, mean reversion we have the wage dynamics the pressures that we are seeing both in europe and the us we know it's the number one concern for companies and a lot of companies are struggling right now to ensure their profitability you just saw goldman sachs the other day uh, potentially laying off up to 10% of their uh, of their employees and that is also the message message here if we if we don't i mean so the wish list is of course that margins can be handled they can be preserved because on the one-year horizon, that's what we show here on slide eight to the right. On a one-year horizon, it is the change in the operating in uh, sorry the operating margin of companies that really dominate the one-year change in the earnings per share and not the revenue growth. So it's all those inputs that flow in below the revenue. So it's the raw materials input cost from all the side. It's the wage pressures, etc. It's those that are, will determine where we end in 2023. And I don't think that the the wish list from from investors of you know margins only coming down mildly is is what's going to happen. I, I think actually they will come down pretty hard and if i'm right about that <clears throat> then I, I think it will be very difficult for for equities for the equity market as a whole to grow earnings next year i could be horribly wrong i would say if we if we want a positive equity market then we we should hope that i'm terribly wrong on this uh, this prediction and also not just about positive equities per se or, or broadly speaking but you're also pointing out the different outlook potentially between intangibles versus tangibles and I'm, i find it quite remarkable actually that the the tangibles hasn't done better there on your your overview there on slide seven to the right that, that we haven't seen a better return. I mean, we, we we did see the bubble stocks coming in with such a terrible performance at late 21 and for really the balance of 2022 as well. But the other side is not necessarily performed as much as, as one might have expected, given the, the big shift in, in yields. Yeah, it depends on how you define. I, I could do. I could go to the extreme and I say, okay, tangible industry. I define that by energy, and then the intangibles would be something like the uh, the Hang Seng Tech Index to the left, or the bubble stocks. Then you would have seen 
a crushing difference and divergence in performance, which we have seen. Energy being the only inflation hedge out there, uh, technology in China and elsewhere, and bubble stocks come t- uh, crashing down. The intangibles versus tangible industries, which we have to the right, it's a broader definition. It's much more broad-based throughout the equity market, where we have uh, 14 industries being the tangibles ones and uh, and 10 being intangible. I think this is a is a theme that will continue to rage through the market because part of the wish list for next year, certainly among private uh, investors, is that technology stocks will come back because this is where all the losses have been. That if they can come back, then we'll have a, a good deal also because they they are a pretty big size of the overall equity market. But I think that this theme, this pivot away from intangibles, not away from intangibles, but a, you know, you know, higher interest rates, a bigger need for doing physical investments in the world just look at the just look at what's going on in Europe i mean the the investments that are needed to solve the the energy infrastructure etc is just enormous and we talked about the other day and one of the largest copper mines being uh, maybe nationalized in panama and we and and that is in a market for copper which is so heavily needed for electrification and it's not like we can just start up a new copper mine so we have such an immense need for, for physical investments that I think this is a theme that will continue. And I think intangibles could have another year where they will disappoint. Yeah. Let's look at, uh, let's look at something very tangible and that is the metals uh, market. So if you look at copper, you know, suffered a, a big fall in 2022, it is, it's risen back to a key area, but hasn't broken through somewhat similar to gold as well. I, I think one of the, you could potentially see two very different years for the investment metal side versus versus copper dr copper copper being an indicator on where the uh where the economy is seen going uh in the future depending on what what yields are doing so it's just take us through how you both see similarities and differences in the investment metals versus copper what what, what do you think investors are hoping for and what do you think they might get well Overall, the um, prolonged period of inflation will benefit both uh, metals, I would say. And then the if you look at gold in particular, we just come out of a year where we uh, pretty much close to flat on the year priced in dollars. And that's the year where we had a, a very strong dollar rally. We've had the biggest jump in bond yields in, in decades. So gold has done, done really well, and it's it's setting up for a potential move higher next year. And that, that move higher is, I would say, is based on like lost of performance in the stock market uh, because yields will be kept uh, high, uh, interest rate will be kept high, potentially higher than what the economic economy can can take. So so it's it's a roll over the dollar as well that that plays into the uh, into the gold market. We've seen underlying strong demand from central banks as well this year. Don't see any reason why that should not continue uh, going forward. So uh, so that's the that's the story for for gold. Copper is. Really Really, one of of the transition that transformation that Peter just uh, mentioned. It is going to require an enormous amount of copper. We just seen this past month in Europe, where uh, UK alone, where we've seen the the gigawatt production from wind uh, goes up and down by to by more than ten. 10 uh, nuclear power plants uh, on a, on a regular on a short basis and that is obviously not sustainable unless you have a proper infrastructure that means you can transport all this this uh, cheap power for, to from surplus to uh, to deficit so so it it will require copper it will also re- require recovery in china which we which we firmly believe we will see uh, not the first quarter, but later into the year. So, so yes, China growth, together with with inflation staying staying elevated, is is likely to uh, support both metals uh, into twenty three. All right, then I think I'll round it out with uh, the U.S. dollar picture here, because I think any sort of any recovery and and continuing recovery in global markets after a very terrible year will require that the dollar is coming in lower. And my key sort of hurdle that I think the, the there could be to the dollar uh, weakening from here. Yes, the dollar can 
can turn over to the weak side if we get a very soft landing and we get this uh, sort of gentle Fed easing because inflation comes in even lower than expected uh, and the Fed is able to begin to corroborate the, the market's view that it will be able to cut rates next year. But often, and as we've seen in the past, when you see a deleveraging cycle, a strong deleveraging cycle across markets, which could be the case because of how much we have tightened, do see a, a worse than expected economic slowdown next year. We get that back up uh, as we see general market deleveraging, classic a dollar as a safe haven behavior. So even though U.S. yields might be declining in such a, um, a scenario, the dollar could be rising. So uh, this last cycle has been associated with the dollar going up because yields are going up. And it can also go go up because when yields are going down, as long as that is associated with general deleveraging. Uh, on slide 11, I just show all the G10 currencies. I index them to the last day of 2021. You can see the relative performance there. Pull out two things, or two or three things, really. The dollar, it's it's huge further ascent this year, and it has rolled over. Again, that continuing lower requires Fed easing and no major market disruptions. It's, it's a difficult path, I think. I think we are potentially have seen the highs for the cycle in the dollar, but I see considerable two-way risk volatility-wise in the new year, again, because I think it could be a rough ride for markets. And I think there is the risk of higher inflation at some point or more persistent inflation requiring some uh, unsettling of market volatility once again. And then you see in sort of the intense blue, that strong rise in the euro. I think a lot of that has been uh, triggered by a very more, a much more aggressive ECB this latest meeting uh, really indicating how aggressive they think they want to be, at least in the new year. The market's somewhat respecting that. Uh, there's two angles to that. You could say, uh, you know, is Europe headed towards that golden thing for all currencies, which is the combination of tight, mon tight monetary policy and loose fiscal, in other words, a generous fiscal impulse, which they do have because of all the new emergencies that have emerged uh, after the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Maybe, as, as to how I'd place it, I think there is the risk if ECB is too tight that we have, again, the periphery unable to deal with these higher interest rates and we get this, this, this difficulty of the peripheral spreads blowing out and then it will be up to politics for Europe to decide how it wants to continue forward with this project uh, with a proper foundation, fiscal foundation or not. So an interesting setup with the euro, the euro, if you look at how it's performing across the board, almost going vertical into this new year, I think it's a really urgent question uh, hanging over Europe for the new year. Definitely not on the wish list to see a, a situation developing there. And then the yen. The yen is recovered as yields have dropped down. If those long yields become unseated again, we have maximum pressure on the Bank of Japan to move and tremendous volatility risk. Again, the yen, I think, can only continue to, to move higher in a very sort of... Uh, a strong slowdown in long yields, I would say, is, is really the key ingredient there, far more than, they, than, the, than that they are likely to make any significant adjustments to their policy. I think their policy will be about uh, tweaking at the margin to uh, to recognize that inflation has increased and is likely to stay a bit higher than it has in the past uh, few decades. And then I show the different dollar regimes on slide 12. I don't want to run through all of these but you can see the tremendous dollar strength there has been on Fed tightening regimes. So it is very important uh, for the Fed to roll over for, for the dollar to weaken here. The question is whether we've seen peak Fed as a factor in this market. That'll be the most urgent question. The market very much expressing a view uh, in the wish list for the new year that we have seen peak Fed. But have we seen peak dollar? Uh, a great question as we head into the new year. And again, I point out with the red, the panic deleveraging, it was quite modest during the pandemic relative to what we saw back in 2008. 2008 was far more dramatic because it took the Fed more time to react and because it was preceded by the most incredible 
uh, time frame of massive leveraging up, uh, investment bank, uh, the whole globe was met, uh, leveraging up in a massive carry trade uh, funded in dollars, yen, and Swiss franc. So that was a, a just a different era for, for financial markets. And you can see the effect of dollar uh, weakness as the Fed eases again. So yeah, I think that uh, paints a picture of what the dollar investor and the dollar trader needs to have answered in the new year. I don't know, Peter, do you have any closing thoughts before we close out this podcast? Uh, I don't know whether I have some really closing thoughts, uh, except that it's difficult to, it's difficult even, yeah, I don't know, even though we have scoped all this out, I think it's difficult to comprehend if 2023 gets even more crazier than uh, than this year. But in many ways, while the surrounding environment of variables were quite crazy around the equity market, in you, you can actually argue that if you look at the equity market's drawdown, especially in euro terms, now that you just talked about the dollar, John, was uh, has not been really that big a deal. Um, so I think there is room for this crazy 2023 where you have a second year with uh, with a negative return on, on equities. Um, that would that that is certainly something uh, I I'm mentally prepared for, and I think it goes with you know a thing we haven't talked about to, in in this podcast, but a concept we have touched on on the podcast, and I know Steen also uh, likes to talk about this concept about time and and time dimensionality. I, the the past ten years. 12 years if you will the rally we have we have been in with this constant very short very short-lived drawdowns and then a quick snap back back to new highs which caused an, an entire investor class and trader class to be overfitted to an environment of low interest rates and buy the dip and and that fitness function if you will now I'm getting a little bit technical here but this whole all the the best winners and those that were best fit for that environment will probably be the least fit for the environment that we have now and will continue to have in 2023 and it means also that this entire class of investors that was overfitted to this environment their time dimension has been distorted so they they not they not really prepared if this is one of the longer drawdowns we have in in history which it could be it could take maybe 18 20 months before we hit a low from the from the highs and then we have to crawl all the way back to a new high i don't think really people are prepared for for that so that could be another shocker next year combined with all the things that we have have uh, told uh, said in this podcast as a pushback to the to the investors wish list yeah i think it's pretty simple uh, uh, that's a that's a great way of describing it but it's also i think illustrated on slide six and i think it's all about that whether those longer term inflation levels are anchored and whether the long end of the yield curve is anchored as long as it's anchored, I think that we can see investors getting a lot of what they want, even if not all. But it's when you have the unanchoring of inflation, when you have the, the inflection point, when the market realizes if this has ever happens, and I think it, it is the risk in coming years, that the central banks can't get ahead of inflation, that inflation actually is ironically the goal, because you have to have inflation if you want to deleverage the sovereign debt. You have to have negative real rates. Uh, once that happens, and if that happens, I think that's when we get the sort of the how this cycle could play out. It never happens, then it never happens. But I, I think that's the, the big risk here is, is unanchoring of the long grand. That'll be the key kicker for something uh, ugly happening. As long as we're anchored, uh, the shenanigans don't have to get that bad before central banks come in, policymakers come in to uh, to address the situation and we get at least a partial snapback. So that'll be my uh, key question uh, and, and key sort of uh, devil's advocate to the markets. Very uh, significant wish list for the new year on the shape of the coming yield curve. And I think with that, this has gone on a little bit longer than we intended, but that's fine. Hope you found the uh, discussion uh, interesting and gives you food for thought for the new year. I think it's going to be a very interesting year 
nonetheless, and it can't do anything but contrast with what we saw in 2022, one of the most remarkable years in modern market history. So with that, we bid you adieu and uh, stay tuned for further special editions of the Saxo Market Call podcast. Thanks for listening. This has been the Saxo Market Call. For feedback and questions, reach out to us on Twitter at Saxo Market Call or by email, marketcall at saxobank.com. <laughs>